Everybody out there in podcast land, welcome once again to another Pat's Pints podcast. I'm Mark Richards, and I've got with me here today Pat Woodward of Pat's Pints podcast. Hello, hello. Pat, we've got some really good guests today. Not just guests, but close personal friends. Aww. One of which, uh, Hans Gorsuch. Hey. That's with four umlauts for you that don't know. Big time Motley Crue fan. We watched that Motley Crue movie last night. Thank God we were curling this morning because we have Chris Mercer Hill. Hello. Chris, you're our first guest from north of the border. Thanks for having me. Via Clintonville, of course. Indeed. And by that, mean, you mean Blenheim? <laughs> exactly. No. He, yeah, that's why we invited him to curl because... Uh, the Canadian ringer. I mean, you're practically born of ice anyway. Am That's I wrong? true. That's true. You've seen those uh, those viral videos of the, the young man emerging from the frozen waters from beneath the ice? That's Chris. That's me in a nutshell. Today is Orval Day, and uh, we're going to get into one of the world's best beers today, at least one of my favorites, because it's such a special beer. I thought we'd just go around the table and people could say, you know, what do you think are some other examples of singular beers that have change the world of beer no you lost me at other chris we both had orval picked so we got to pick something else yeah. i think pilsner or quail is a good one to throw out there oh oh man that's Singular on a that's on a podcast iconic. coming up with hans yeah yeah that's a great one that's a good choice i might choose the rodenbach grand cru mm, sweet it's one of the sour, first that sour beers i had and it uh it never kind of never disappoints you always get something new out of that beer so good choice i'm going to go with triple caramelite Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. When wow. I think world class. It's true. That's one of the perfect beers. That's pretty much the A that you have to base all other triples off of, in my opinion. Well, now it's around to me, and I could either stay in Belgium. With, don't don't pick Orval. Which Pat, I, you already said no, anything no. but. With something like Saison DuPont. But I'm going to go a different way, and I'm going to say Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's okay. a great one. Ken, keep it coming. How would you describe what kind of beer Orval is to somebody who is like a craft beer newbie? Yeah, recently I had this exact question. We had to get together and I brought some random beers. And the first one we happened to pour was was Orval. After pouring it, I was asked, so what kind of beer is this? What style of beer is this? Is it Belgian? And normally if somebody asks me what style a certain beer is, I'm quick and I say, oh, you know, oh, that's a stout. Oh, that's a Pilsner. When I was asked this, I paused and I took a breath. Ultimately, I said, well, it's a Trappist ale, but I don't know of another beer I would compare this to. So while that's a label that is accurate for the beer, I don't think that it describes necessarily what you should expect from it. So it's Trappist, it's an ale, it is Belgian, and it's also a Brett beer. Like all of those things we might use to describe it. And I don't know that one of them necessarily describes it better than another. So as an ale, what puts it in that ale category? Mm, possibly some of the esters that are involved. Yeast fermentation character, yeah. right? Yeah. Fruity yeah. esters, definitely. Fermentation temperature, where that fermentation yeah, sure. happens, like some technical things about it, well, right? Think, Not just some perceived Yeah, of course. Things, of course, right? right. Orval, I think they... They start the fermentation at 59 Fahrenheit, and they let it rise up to about 70, the primary fermentation. That's pretty low, actually. For a Belgian, isn't it? Yeah. And then as a Trappist ale, what what does that even mean? The answer to that question, of course, is that it's made at a Trappist monastery. It has to be made on the grounds of the monastery. Uh, The brewing operations have to be at least supervised by the monks, and the prophets have to go back into supporting charity or the monastery itself. Let's say you had had three or four Trappist ales. Maybe you had drank a, a Chimay or you had a Rochefort or, or even a, a La Trappe. It would not prepare you for Orval because Orval is almost nothing like any other Trappist beer, I would say. And then the original question I got was, well, what is this, a Belgian? As if that prepares you for, for what it is. It's a stone's throw from being French, actually. That's true. 
I think as a Belgian beer, there are some things you could expect. You might not have 100% of these things in any Belgian beer, but there's some things you might anticipate. I think they're likely to be fermented at a relatively higher temperature. I think they're likely to be in the higher range of alcohol. There are exceptions to all these. I think they're likely to have some sugar as an adjunct uh, mm -hmm. in there. I think they're going to use a yeast that is charismatic and indigenous to the re region and really going to leave um, some mark on the beer. Those are some characteristics, I think, if you say something's, oh, that's a Belgian beer. Well, Belgian isn't a style, you know. Yes, that is a geographic region, but I think there are some kinds of things that you can anticipate if somebody says, says Belgian. So, Hans, if I could cut in for a minute. I mean, I think all of those things you just said are true about Belgian beers, but I actually think if you wanted someone to know what to expect from an Orval, its closest relative is not a Belgian beer. I think it is most closely related to a British pale ale. There's two things in the way they make Orval that are distinctly British. Dry hopping hmm. and the use of Britannomyces. Britannomyces means British yeast fungus or something like that. And so th those things are definitely very much the British influence, even though the first head brewer at Orval was German. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so, the ingredients are, are continental ingredients. Yeah, so Brett Beers was that fourth category when trying to qualify this beer, when you're trying to tell somebody, what's in this glass? What should I expect? And I'll so, tell you what's in this glass, not a damn thing. Air. Somebody better get on that. I think, right? I think it's time to have an revolve. Now, oh, Pat, you've gone to great lengths to pull out all stumps and have some varied years. Is there any structure to this? I think we want to start with the youngest Orval that we have. These two are, oh, now we're talking. There you go. Beer in glass. I like the confidence with the way you pour that with the glass sitting right on the your computer. Yeah. That is uh, He's that's a sign of a pro. For the record, he didn't pour any beer on the computer yet. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. All right. I feel a lot more comfortable now about talking about Orval. So when was this package, Pat? December 20th, 2018. So we are at, what, March 23rd? That's not bad. Uh, this is three months old. This didn't just come from across Lake Erie. This came from across the <laughs> pond. Well, let me put that into perspective. When I went to Orval last year, and I went to the cafe, and I ordered an Orval, and they said, do you want an old one or a young one? And I said, bring me the freshest one you have, because normally I can't get that. And the beer that they brought me was two and a half months old. Okay. They didn't just take you back and... Put your head under the under the fermenter. The monks don't let you just drink off the bright tank. I no. can see this. Now, if you had said, bring me the oldest one you have, do you have a sense of how old they had in stock on hand? Orval on the bottle will say, drink before five years. Right. And and I did see several cafes when I was in Belgium that would you could order a one-year-old Orval, a three-year-old Orval, or a five-year-old Orval. Wow. The last one I pulled out of my fridge was two years old. Mm-hmm. Man, it's a beautiful beer. I like the lacing on the glass. I like the thickness of the head. Pillowy. Yeah. Good word. That's why you're a pro. <laughs> this young one is, I know we're going to get to some more age one, but it's kind of more rich and caramely, maybe, uh, in, in the nose than the. I think the older ones we'll get into. Well, of course, they use... Crystal malts. Um, do you guys pick up much hop character on this? Yeah. As it glides across the tongue and you swallow, there is a bit of perceived bitterness, but it's I would not define this as a bitter beer. No. I think our scales have been rearranged on what is a bitter <laughs> beer, and we have to recalibrate a bit when we hop the pond and, and, and are tasting uh, European beers. But there are, there are clearly hops in this. We said earlier continental ingredients. Do we know what, what hops go into this beer? Yes. Orval uses Styrian Goldings. 
Strissel Spalt, which French. is a French hop, and Hollertau. Okay. So one of the benefits, I think, of the Brett in this beer is it makes it so you can actually have a different beer depending on the age. And, right. And I think we're at a starting place where Brett has had the least to contribute to like the subtle and complex stuff that's going on here. When you have a young one like this and the Brett hasn't expressed itself very much, what you end up with is something that's just kind of a very pleasant drinking pale ale, mm-hmm. European hops, just a little bit of crystal malts. I mean, it's a very balanced beer at this stage. And I think it's pretty sessionable. Well, maybe not by strength. It's about 6%. 6.9. Wow. Well, that depends Almost on... Almost 7 yeah, I, I can guarantee you this beer is not 6.9%. Because Why would they put that on the bottle then? Because the American TTB would not permit that to happen. Because they're not American. Well, here's a, here's a story on that. If you get an Orval that's just freshly bottled, and then yeah. you pick one that's like the five-year-old one we're going to drink in a little while, yes. it goes up by a whole percentage the point in alcohol. The bottle conditioning makes it impossible wow. to have so, a number on the bottle that will be true. That strikes me as curious how they can get away with this. Well, so they pick... A middle point. They've put the average percentage of the life, the possible life of that beer in the bottle. That is interesting AF. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's which lots means, of things which about means this. and fun. There's lots of things Indeed. about this beer. I think they're that interesting. Like the little Skittle pin bottles, man. Talk about mm-hmm. an iconic thing. It's like bowling. Such a handsome, right. Such a handsome bottle in that Belgian category. They want to have the exact right glass for that beer. Which isn't just a style of glass, but the actual branded glass yep. for the beer. And more often than not, these beers, when they're bottled, have their own unique uh, shape and style bottle as well. And that's a heavier glass, too, right? Because of the potential for increased carbonation over yeah, time. And, that's it. I mean, it feels, it feels heavy. It feels thicker. That's totally true. So actually, those things all kind of feed into the, the whole mystique of this beer. It's highly carbonated, right? Probably, I don't know, around four volumes, maybe, CO2. And so that's why the, the Orval chalice, which we don't have, is a chalice, which has got a wide top on it so that the head will dissipate itself. But the interesting story is that chalice was designed by the same architect that built the uh, abbey. Oh, that's a, guy a good named, factoid. A guy named Henry Vase. Pat, have you been to Orval then? I have been to Orval. It went about a year ago, April 2018. It's a beautiful place. It's in the far southeast of Belgium. In the eastern half of Belgium, you have this Ardennes mountain range, and Orval is in the in the very southern part of it. It is literally, I mean, I, you said you can throw a stone sure. from one country to another, sure. but it's a long way to throw a stone from Brussels to the French border, but it's not very far uh, from, yeah. from Orval to the French border. So the monastery was first built, I think, in uh, in the 11th century. It was founded by Italian monks, and there's this kind of story that goes along with it that the Countess Matilda was sitting by a spring and somehow her wedding ring fell off into the pond. And so she said a prayer or something like that. And the next thing you know, a trout rose up out of the pond with the ring in its mouth, Uh, which you see, of course, the label, the iconic label of an Orval bottle. Now I know. So she said, this is truly a Val d'Or, a valley of gold. And so that's what Orval means, uh, Valley of Gold. Anyway, those monks actually just bailed out after about 40 years, and they left it behind. But then uh, maybe uh, another 20 or 30 years later, the Trappists came up and restarted the monastery. There's kind of a long history. It burned down. It was raised. It was rebuilt. But then in the French Revolution, so in the late 1700s, there was a lot of like not really happy people about the church, and so the whole monastery was destroyed and abandoned then. Uh, then it was rebuilt in the 20th century. So uh, construction started, I think, 1926. The brewery was first built in 1931, and I think the construction wrapped up in around 1948. So what you have is you have the ruins of the old monastery from the Middle Ages, which are very cool to walk through. And then you have this sort of more modern monastery that's built in a kind of fusion of Art Deco and Romanesque architecture, which is really cool. So it may be the most beautiful monastery uh, or church ruins that I visited the whole time I was in Europe. 
And that's the same vintage as the architect who designed this bottle then? The 1920s, 30s? This beer isn't that old. That's right. It was in the 1930s. He he did. 1931, right? That's when the brewery was opened. Yeah. So this next bottle was packaged on July 2nd, 2013. So dig it. That's a big difference from where we just were. Wow. <laughs> the aroma on that is significantly different. It reminds me if you smashed up a bunch of sweet tarts and blew them into the air. And much more effervescent. So while we're pouring this beer, I recall the fact that more than 80% of this beer is consumed within the country it was brewed. And I think of Belgian beers, it can go both ways. So, Pat, I know you've had some experience talking to some Belgian brewers who, like... Their biggest markets are the U.S. or yeah. Japan or, you know, and, and they're not actually consumed that much locally. And others um, really are, like, integrated in the local culture. And this, I think, is one that falls in that category. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a whole spectrum, of course, between Belgian brewers who sell most of their beer domestically and, and ones who send it abroad. A little easier question would be to compare it to the other Trappists. And I think most of the other Trappist breweries send quite a bit abroad. So, yeah, 80% domestically, and I think then maybe another over 10% to the neighboring countries. Um, by the way, when you go to the brewery, you can get the Orval for two euros a bottle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas wow. here, it's a five bucks a bottle, right? Yeah. This is a completely different beer. Completely different beer. Wow. Uh, so I'm, it's so different. How would you describe that nose? We're all deep in thought trying to snow, suss out this beer here. Well, sweet tarts was a pretty good start, I think. Yeah, I think it is. It's like crushing up sweet tarts and then uh, just toss them in the air. It's got that really candy-like finish. It's got something really curious and something slightly sour in the in the smell, but in a tart way. Do you know where the fruitiness comes from when Brett does its thing? I have a feeling you're going to tell me. <laughs> well, of course, if you have some uh, acids in your beer, if you get a little sourness in your beer... The brett will turn those carboxylic acids into esters. That reaction is a carboxylic acid plus an alcohol makes an ester. Look at that. Dr. Woodward in the house. But it really changes over time with this beer. And so because the last one of these I had was smack between these two in age, it had a lot more orange in the nose that the first one we had didn't really have. And, and this doesn't have it as predominant as the last one I had. I would say, I would actually say orange peel is kind of an aroma. Like if you took a peel of an orange and pinched it mm-hmm. so that Express the some oils. of the oils yep. sprayed out, that that's a very similar smell that I get, that citrus peel smell. I, I get it here. I just got it eight times more in, in the one yeah. that was like between these two in age. Like it, it really hits you. Uh, so the point though is really, really can change and in complex ways over, over time. Now, when you talk about Brett, people have a lot of other descriptors they use besides fruity. People will talk about barnyard, mm. horse blanket. Um, I think there's pepper in here. I think there's like dry grass. Sometimes people say, hey, you know, but yeah, yeah. I get that dry dry grass in sometimes the people say sure. wet hay yeah and that's a thing wet hay. if you've yeah. ever had there's experience a peppery with that. note yeah. i think the the younger one was a little more uh had a little more of those barnyardy uh funky uh notes to me i mean it was it was like a pale ale not a not a crazy over the top uh, american pale ale but it had that hoppiness and sort of a funkiness to it and this is just so much more sour and fruity to me it's a, it's a huge contrast well, we should remember that the fermentation is a mixture of three or four yeasts, of which only one is Brett. I don't know that I would call it sour. I think it's just... Tart, maybe. The other thing is, this just obviously seems drier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we way, didn't say way that. More we didn't say that, but that really You're changed right. the character of it. Is it it's, it's significantly drier than the other one. Speaking to our point Which kind about of supports it, yeah. It, it, it bumping up in ABV as it gets yeah. older. Now, there's three different yeasts. Do we have a schedule for that, or is it all at one time and see what happens? It's not all at one time. So they do the primary fermentation with this mixture of Saccharomyces strains. That lasts a week, roughly, and then they do three weeks 
conditioning where they do the dry hopping. And then they add a little bit more candy sugar and the brett when they bottle. Okay. And then it's not sold anywhere for another month, four to six weeks. So all of the brett infection is at packaging and is contributing in the bottle. That's correct. I think that's specific to note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it has influenced a lot of people. And also, sometimes people think that's the way you've got to use Brett. We're going to talk about homebrewing a little bit later on. And I think, you know, that's one way to do it, but maybe not the only way to do it. And we didn't put in our list of characteristics that Belgian beers often carry around with them, but bottle conditioning is definitely one of those. When the candy sugar gets added, does the Brett consume the sugar? My understanding was the Brett consumed stuff that the Saccharomyces left behind. How does that all work? Brett can consume sugar, but also Brett is capable of consuming longer chain sugars that Saccharomyces cannot. I think right. I think part of why they add candy sugar when they add the bread is just to get the carbonation. Okay. Yeah. So they, the Saccharomyces is still going to eat a significant amount of that candy sugar. And make some CO2. Yeah. Make some CO2. Bread is a slow actor. It takes months and even years. For I'm the it. same way. <laughs> Still working on that kitchen renovation. <laughs> I apologize to my wife if she's listening right now. Do you guys have a preference between the three-month-old and the five-year-old? We're going with the five years on this side of the table. Am I right, Chris? Yes, yes you are, Mark. I am also in that camp, even though I'm not on that side of the table. We yeah. have room if you want to. It's just, it's just got more complex things going on. And, and like you said, the Brett takes that amount of time to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But Come drinkable, on, yeah. um, either one, like lovely. You know. Yeah, man, we're, we have a posse over here now, Pat. What about you? <laughs> oh, I'm with you. I'm oh, with you all the way. We're all piling on yeah. one side of the table. And I, I would just say, because the most recent one I had before today was, two, let's say, two years old, I would encourage you guys to taste, taste one in that range, and I think you would find it noticeably different than even these two. We got to start buying a couple bottles every year for the next five years, and then five years from now we'll come back. We'll we'll do another podcast you're, and be you're, tasty. You're good at that. I've it's had a the good benefit. Plan. Of, yeah, of, you're a cellaring your, person. Yeah, you have more time than money, so we can make this happen. Five years <laughs> yeah. from now, mark it down. All right, <laughs> where's, where's a pen? Mm-hmm. It's on my calendar. You know, it's funny to me, Hans, when you were talking about sort of the how would you categorize a beer? Someone asks you, and you sort of talked about well, it's an ale. It's a pretty broad category. It's Belgian pretty broad category. It's Trappist. That's sort of a unique kind of a who owns the brewery kind of question, more of a style question. Brett, it's a Brett beer. For me, I think Brett is maybe the key feature because of the way we've seen it change over time. I mean, it's not that these other categories don't apply, but for me, that's the most salient feature, I think, is, is there's Brett in it. And you sit on it for five years, and then you're throwing uh, sweet tarts in the air. You know, for me, that's the that's the most salient feature. Do you guys know anything about the different strains of Brett? I don't. The strain that's in Orval is a strain called Bruxellensis. And then there's another strain that you would find, for example, in Lambic beer, uh, like a Cantillon, for example. And that would be Lambicus. And then you have the strains that are found in things like English old ales and barley wines. And that's called Classini. So they all express themselves a little bit differently. I think the Bruxellensis that's in Orval is a little bit fruitier and, and not quite as funky as some of the other strains. And does that draft south from Brussels? It Why is, is it named that? Because the wind's blowing down? Well, Orval's not the only brewery that uses this uh, strain of bread. Fair enough. It was a thoroughbred to them when they pitched it, or was this at one time open fermentation? I think this was ne- it was never spontaneous fermentation. Yeah, they pitched it. Okay. They I think in like, 1931 yep. they said let's go up to Brussels or intentionally inoculated, let's say it that way. Okay. P- pitching yeah. might imply things that we don't know, but intentionally inoculated, I think. Yeah, I, that's correct. They they wanted to put bre- they put bread in on purpose. I do believe yeah. uh until not so long ago, just like many breweries in Europe, I mean the the fermenters were open. That's a common thing. Uh, like the British breweries still do it that way. But right. but they don't want to get contamination. And so the Brett was put in initially on purpose. And it's kind of a question, whose idea was that? The assistant brewer was from Flanders. And so sometimes people think that maybe uh, he was responsible for it. Because it's not a very German thing to do, to no. add Brett to your beer. No. Things got to be sterile, man. 
I'm pretty sure that's against the Reinhardt squad. Oh, yes. And the thing we haven't said yet is the other thing that makes this unique, in my opinion, this is the only beer they brew. They do make a second beer that I've had. But you had Petit Uh Bourbon? Uh-oh, uh-oh. I have had Petit Bourbon news. I knew that that existed, but I I thought that was just for the monks. Chris, uh, we just found out Hans is a liar. Well, I knew of Petit Bourbon's existence. Pat says pants on fire. (laughs) What is going on here? But I didn't think it was even available to outside people. You can only get it at one place. And Pat's that is, not an outside people. Keep that in mind. You know, that's a good it point, better, right? It better be the Pat's Pints Underground Studio here in <laughs> Clintonville, USA. You, you Pat, cannot get it in Clintonville. Pat, I want to hear about this. It's an Einkel, right? You can't get it in Clintonville. Pat, Pat probably can't. That's right. You can't. Yeah. What's going on? You can get it at the cafe that's on the grounds. Okay, and, and you've had this, but just seasonally, though, right? It's not a thing they do every day. No. Uh, well, it was there the day I visited. Uh, uh, I think, how convenient! Oh, I think maybe can it's, you tell I think, us about this. Yeah, yeah, I can. It's it's a very similar recipe, but it is lower strength. I think this three or four percent ABV. If you go to one of my blog posts, that I'll I'll put a link on the uh, on the website there. It's pretty hazy with hops. I compared a little bit to when I went to Pilsner or Kell and had the beer straight out of off tank, of yeah. right out of the barrel that was unfiltered. So it's unfiltered, kind of hazy. Love wow. It. Love it's it. a really beautiful Love beer. Love it. <laughs> I think the recipe is very similar, though, just uh, lower strength. But that's kind of the genesis of the style, Einkel, is the idea is monks brew their high alcohol beers and then they take what's left and re-sparge. Like to get yeah, the yeah. last little bit of goodness sure. out of that and make a whole separate beer out of the leftovers. But is that beer packaged? Is it aged? Is that something you can drink at five years old? Because with the Brett, I mean, as we've seen, it, it can uh, make a big difference. It's not packaged. Hmm. In fact, I think they used to package it, but then they got angry that they saw like people showing pictures of it in places like America. And they said, no, we're just going to sell it on draft. So it's on draft only and only at the one place. Wow. Another reason to visit Orval. Americans can ruin anything. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to go back to one other point, and we have talked about, you know, the monks doing this and that, but it is maybe important to note that since the very beginning of the brewery, the the brewery operations are all run by secular people at Orval. The monks are involved in the, the operation of the business, but not directly in the brewing. What are we drinking next? We're going to drink a beer called Sales of Sharon. Well, that's a curious, that's a curious name. Wait, What's wait, that wait, about? Sales of Sharon happens to be probably the best Scorpion song of all time. Yeah, man. How about that Yuli John Roth? Shreds. Can't yeah. go wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's his masterpiece. But for those of you not into 70s, 80s era german heavy metal you better start getting into it (laughs) if you want to listen to this podcast lesson number one and uh, then you might be wondering who sharon was sharon was the ferryman across the river sticks but what makes us want to drink this beer on this podcast so this is an orval inspired brew and i i brewed for a long time before i thought i could even attempt this beer yeah this is the best home brew you've ever made I totally Second agree with that, and what I will say is when I stick my nose in this glass, I really smell similar things to that young uh, young version of the Orval we were having earlier. Mm-hmm. And this isn't that young now. How how many months has this been in the bottle on Orval Day 2019? Well, read, it, read the date. Oh, this is date-coded. Just like the Orval. October 27 of the year 2019. Nope. That was a trick. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> 2018. Five months old. Was your intention to brew an Orval clone or a beer that was reminiscent of Orval? Or what, what were a, you going for? No, it's a good question. And I think the answer is in his method. Not an Orval clone. It's inspired by Orval. If you were going to do an Orval clone, you probably would use the Bastogne yeast. Here I used Omega Yeast Saisenstein's Monster, so it's a Saison yeast. 
And then you probably would use some crystal malts because that's what Orval used. But I did not use any crystal malts because I don't tend to like them in this kind of beer. The malt bill is about 75% golden promise. And then the rest of it is equally split more or less between biscuit malt, wheat malt, Munich, and about 5% sugar. So basically, I just brewed a Saison. And then when I pitched the Saison yeast, at the same time, I added the dregs of two Orval bottles. Right. I tried to find the freshest ones I could. I think they were about four months old, the Orval that I added to it. This came up earlier. Should we add the Brett down the road, like after the primary fermentation is done? Other people, like when I went to the Sod's Homebrew Club, people said, oh, you should probably grow a starter of the dregs to add it. The easiest thing might be the best thing, which is just to pitch the dregs at the same time you pitch the other yeast. And the reason why I say that is in Orval, there's a mixture of yeast, not just Brett. And if you do a starter, they're going to propagate at different rates. I agree. And the Saccharomyces is going to grow faster totally than the bread. I agree. The other thing about pitching it with the primary fermentation is bread is just slow anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a starter in your beer, just to pitch it in your beer. So that's what I did, and, and I'm really happy with the results. If it was a shotgun start, the wrong guy might win. Makes really good sense, Pat. It's such an interesting thing, though, mixing these bugs in any given beer. Like, that's a very Belgian thing to do. Um, sometimes, even if it's not Brett, uh, they might do primary fermentation with a yeast they really want the character uh, from, but then they may pitch an entirely different yeast at bottling for, for carbonation, for bottle conditioning. I think managing the populations, the live populations of those different animals, right, um, is like a complex thing. Right. Um, also, I think it's particularly interesting because it makes it harder for someone from the outside if you want to duplicate a specific beer. Um, you can't necessarily easily culture such a thing just from the bottle. You know? Yeah, definitely, Hans. No, I think that's part of the reason why sometimes they do that. Chris, I noticed you haven't dumped yours out yet. What are you thinking over there? It's a tasty beer. It's complex. Uh, it's got some of the Brett character. It's maybe not as dry as... The Orval. That's good to know. It's given me a lot to think about, which I really I really like. It is pretty dry, though, but I would agree there's a little residual sweetness that we did not experience in the Orval, but once again, like you said, not a clone, but an mm-hmm. inspiration of methods. I did use one American ingredient in this, and that is for the dry hopping, I used a mixture of Styrian Goldings and Amarillo hops. Interesting. I like Amarillo hops with Belgian beers in the dry hop. Why is that? They have a kind of a citrus character, but they don't have that dank character. I don't think the dank character works with Belgian beers at all. Um, and I know I'm not saying no Amarillo beer can have that, but I'm just saying I've I've done it three or four times, and, and usually I've been pretty happy with how it, it played with the Belgian yeast character. So are there any American-brewed Brett beers that we think are worth drinking these days? you got to give the first shout-out probably to Goose Island with Matilda. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which was, well, we talked about the Matilda Spring and the whole princess losing her ring into the fountain. And I so, always get them backwards. Which one's Matilda and which one's Sophie of theirs? I, I, I've had them both. Matilda is the Orval homage. and Sophie, Sophie's the peach one? I can't remember. Sophie Don't is a kind of a tart saison. Yeah. yeah. Those are lovely beers. I've, I've had both of those. Yeah. But what we're going to drink here is we're going to drink a beer by Logsdon. Uh, this is out in Hood River, Oregon. And so this was the brewery started by Dave Logsdon, who is the guy who also started Y Yeast. Oh. All right. So this is a famous yeast farmer, if you will. But, uh, <laughs> and this is a Brett beer. This is called Saison Bretta. So this is a, a Brett Saison. Um, it won the, the gold medal at the GABF in 2012. That's not a small thing. Yeah. I review beers sometimes for the blog. Not so much anymore. This is the only one I've ever given a 10. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I noticed I notice that you've only brought one bottle of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to bring it back in my luggage from Colorado. It's uh, They don't sell it out here. Mm. 
Oh, oh wow. we got a gusher. We got, we got a, a gusher. gusher. Get a glass under there. That's the thing that can happen with a Brett beer sometimes. All right. Now we're down to a third Three quarters, maybe? Yeah. I'll tell you, though, the last Orval I had at home was a gusher. It just happens. I have heard Dave Logsdon say that he thinks that making beer only from Brett is not a great idea. So he likes. Let, let's say why, hmm. though. Well, there's one theory that when Brett gets easy sugars to eat, that is, it doesn't have to eat what's left over by the Saccharomyces. It, it doesn't give its best expression mm. of flavors and aromas. Is that... Um, it's not I'm, as funky. I'm interrupting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I've seen research that suggests the same thing about just Cezanne yeast in general that says Cezanne yeast really kick out their best characteristics when they have to work. So yeah, only yeah. so only during when they're their, stressed. only during their growth phase do they do it during their production phase they're not producing those interesting um, yeah. esters and phenols mm-hmm. and so making starters and pre-pitching like big quantities if your goal is getting those yeast characteristics sometimes it's counterintuitive yeah. but it's it doesn't work well for the layman out there that's pretty damn good. It's got a nice nose. I like I like the nose a lot. It's it's a bit fruity. This is about a year old, I think. I'm dabbing a bit of the beer we spilled on my pulse points because it's going to drive my wife wild later. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what wife doesn't like her husband coming home smelling like beer? I mean, come on. Well, beer brewed with bretomyces. I mean, I I've found a winner, gentlemen. I'm not going to lie to you. How does this one taste different, say, from the Orval? You know, I haven't even tasted it yet. I just stuck my nose in the glass, and there really is a common and interesting aroma in the nose that, to me, says Brett, but it also just says Belgian, too. I get a bit of, like, a like the, the barnyard uh, direction mm. as well. I mean, I think tart is a little more prominent, but it's it's there, and, and maybe common to all of them. Oh, you're right. It is tart. It and is th- more tart, th- yeah. This is the most acidic beer we've had. So, this is an amazing beer. Yeah. I, I really love this beer. I think there's a lot of good things to say about it. A little snow-capped mountain. It, one of its label. saving graces is it, That's has, Mount Hood. it, it has a really yeah. clean finish, actually. When they carbonate all of their beers, they do it all with um, organic pear juice. Wait, say that again. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Their source you, you, of, s- you said that so matter-of-factly. The source of sugar in the bottle conditioning, you know, all brewers add some sugar typically when they bottle condition, unless you're German. And they add organic pear juice. That is a mind blower. I would never have picked that out. But like, yeah, that makes me like this beer even more. And as much as I like it, it's starting to justify the price. It was $8 for a 12-ouncer. Ooh, Pat, what do you think of that? Is it value? That's why I only brought one bottle back. <laughs> That's who you're at. It's a, it's a tasty beer. What What do we think... Adding organic pear juice versus Belgian candy sugar. I mean, is there a significant difference there? I mean, it's it's a great story. Does it make for a great beer, necessarily? It's probably subtle. I don't know. I, I will say that I thought about doing this when I made sales of Chiron. I talked to Patrick Gangwar out at Three Tigers Brewing, and he said, well, you know, pear is pretty subtle, and it might be, might be kind of hard to pick it up. Either way, I don't think it's for the pear contribution. Well, I think in a real subtle way, like I have found that putting honey in a beer, yeah, it can lean out of beer, but you're never getting any honey character if you're putting it in for primary fermentation. However, I have found that priming with honey actually gets a tiniest bit of that honey character into the beer in a way that if it's in there during primary fermentation, it's not in there. I think it's fair to say if you have a very delicate flavor you want to put into a beer, adding it a priming is... The best way you could get it yeah, in there. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Well, and I think this beer, it, it's quite tart. But this, I, I think the dryness really, uh, really is a, is important with For this beer. For me, too, yeah. If it weren't as dry, I don't know that I'd like it as much. 100%. Well, I appreciate, uh, Pat, you muling this beer across the country. And I think at $8 a bottle, it's, it's almost worth it. I think you're going to... Almost <laughs> worth it is high praise indeed. Is this the only other beer we have to taste yet? No, we've got another one. And, and in fact, the next one, Hans, I think you're going to like this one a lot. So the next one... You know my tastes. ...is from a brewery in Colorado called Crooked Stave. And Crooked Stave, more than any other brewery, is associated with Britannomyces. 
So the founder of Crooked Stave, a guy named Chad Jacobson, he did his master's degree studying Britannomyces at Harriet Watt University -uh. in Edinburgh, Scotland. Nuh-uh. He did. He did. That's like impressive. Then he came back to the U.S. and he worked at Odell for a while and then he opened his own brewery. And these guys are these guys are blowing up. So it's a Denver brewery, although they have a tap room now in Fort Collins. They have a, a number of beers you can get here in Columbus. I've seen them only on two though that I see. I've seen you should have brought more over. For a while, I carried around a beer that was Crooked Stave Sour Ale, aged over apricots. But in the end, it was thirteen dollars a bottle, and I decided to go for the thirteen dollars a six pack, which uh, is this Colorado Wild Sage, a Brett Saison brewed with sage and lemongrass, and I believe all Colorado ingredients in this beer. Well, that's cool. Let's enjoy Pat's cheap choices. Nice. So the very first beer I ever brewed in my own kitchen was a Saison, and it was a sage Saison. I knew this would be right up your alley, Hans. That's why when I saw it, I I couldn't pass it by. I I love it conceptually before I've even tasted it. Thanks, Mark. You know... Pat, like many of your listeners, I have an aquaponic farm in my backyard <laughs> where I raise tilapia and grow plants. Delicious that are, tilapia, I will say. That are fertilized by the experience. fish waste. But um, I grew both lemongrass and sage last year. Maybe this is something I'm currently looking for what to grow in my aquaponic farm. Maybe these are uh, some plants we should consider and make a beer out of later on. I'm, that, I'm 100% that's down. down. I, I'm down with that. Chris, great. you actually are the the owner of the funk basement of Clintonville, as I know. And Mark, when you say funk, you're not talking about music. Tell us what you mean. I ain't talking about them bass lines. I'm talking about funky beers. And Chris has always got some going. You can't fake the funk, Mark. You uh, cannot fake the funk. Yeah, I've done a few uh, a few wild beers, a few sour beers, a little of this, a little of that. So uh, yeah, I'm open to I'm open to anything. Why not? Chris is a bathtub basement wild funk beer brewer, and uh, we have benefited from his hard work on that. I can foresee a lemongrass sage sales of Sharon. Okay, I'm in. I'll, I'll provide the lemongrass and the sage. You provide the sales. And let's, I'll uh, provide the Scorpions albums. Let's, let's set sail, Pat. All this right. sounds like a good plan. Our calendar is filling up. This is a very light-colored beer. It's hazy, though. Light and hazy, just like Americans like it these days. It smells like a Brett. Yeah, it really does. You really get that Brett character on the nose. Oh. I get the sage, too. I do, only because I've tasted what that is in a beer before, and I, I totally get the sage in this. Is it a little less carbed than you expected? It absolutely is. It's a good yeah. point. We should point out, too, that this came in a can. Right. Our previous beer not only came in a bottle, but it came in a thicker glass bottle, like mm-hmm. knowing that it was a higher carb beer. Right. Peaches come in a can. And it was a... Who put them there? A man. <laughs> Where was he? In a factory? Yeah, maybe downtown. downtown. <laughs> so I'll have to say I'm not getting strong lemongrass off of this. Maybe if it warms up a little bit, um, I do get the sage. Agreed. Yeah, I don't get a lot of lemongrass. But in either. the nose, I get a lot of Brett, which is lovely. Like, yeah, like that. That's really satisfying. It doesn't have the best finish. Like the previous beer had a really nice finish on it. This has a slightly I don't know, dead on the middle of the tongue finish that I don't love. But I love the way it smells. Yeah, I think that could just be related to the volume of carbonation because that's probably the only thing that separates this one for me. It's got it's got some really interesting aromas, flavors. The Brett's definitely there, but but I got I will say- have to say the prickly carbonation is the only thing that's missing for me. Let me come back to a question that we discussed very early in the podcast, and that would be. Everybody said, oh, I get the Brett. 100%. So now, if you're trying to describe that to somebody who has never had a Brett beer, what should you tell them to look for? So I think that it's like, tastes like chicken, right? I think it's the same problem of like giving somebody uh, a description of a thing that they have never tasted or smelled before. And as an analogy, I would say, how would you describe the color blue to a blind person, right? 
The great thing about that is that they are difficult to describe, yes. and that's why it's so damn curious yes. and awesome yeah. to drink these beers. That's, that's a well said. The descriptors like horse blanket, barnyard, do you think those are getting at the right direction, or do you think that they're erroneous? I actually think they are. I think drying grass, not completely d- dried grass, um, which is when sometimes people say wet hay. Yeah. Hay is just weeds. Hay is drying weeds. And that has a very specific aroma. And, I, and for me, I know what that smells like. Or Mark wouldn't know because he is meticulous about his lawn. But say you're not a farmer, but you do mow your grass. And let's say it clumps up and it starts to dry. And there's a specific aroma when that grass isn't completely dry, but has started to dry. Like, it's in there. I have to say, putting these herbs, uh, these culinary herbs into beers is tricky business. And, sure. And I've tried it and failed. Like, it, they're good experiments and they're interesting, but they can be overbearing. Like, I think you need to, to do, like, like whether it's rosemary or it's sage um, or or oregano even I've, I've had, like, in some beers where I was trying to omit hops and, and replace with, with culinary herbs. It, it's difficult to get them clean in the beer in, in a pleasant way. And so this is good. Um, I just know the challenge of getting sage in there and, and making it like really work. I, I think you said, Hans, it's, it's hard to find the lemongrass. I think I'm with you on that, but that's also a good thing in terms of you don't taste it and go, oh, yeah, handful of lemongrass punching me in the mouth. You're right. And I think the same with the sage. It's not overpowering. We do have one more... Example of an American Brett beer from Anchorage Brewing Company. It's called The Tide and Its Takers. I love that name. Anchorage makes some amazing beers, too. I have they heard do. good things about them. I haven't drank many Anchorage beers. Cheers. Well, you can tell the effects of the indeterminate aging process because this is back to our sweet tarts, uh, cloud yeah. of sweet tarts that you're walking through. Ooh, it's just clinging to you. It's beautiful. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. Chris. It, we're back to kind of the five-year-old Orval a little bit. Definitely There's, in that direction. Yeah, it's fruity. Um, Man, this is extra sweet, tarty too, as it relates to like the aroma and that first taste. It's like it's like you just unrolled on Halloween. That Let me, sweet yeah. first try of your loot, including sweet tarts. Wow. Man, that is like that, that takes that, me that, back. That was poetic. Let me uh, read for you from the bottle here. Uh, ale brewed with saws and Styrian Golding's hops, right? First in French oak fooders with a Belgian yeast, second in French oak Chardonnay barrels with Brett, and finally in the bottle with the third yeast for natural carbonation. Man, that's good. And Pat, I hope you brought four more of these bottles. You've been a little (laughs) skimpy today. I know you don't want to be in too much trouble later, but as you know, that's one of my primary objectives always is to get... Negative attention from Lorinda. This beer smells right. Yeah. Like I just stuck my nose in the glass for the first time. This smells yeah, right. Yeah, it does. This is really good. What? When was this bottled? We don't know. 2014. We, it's on the bottle. Is it? Okay. Wow. I might have made that up. That was well worth saving. Am I right? It's on there yeah. somewhere. I cannot confirm. Yeah, this is coming up on five years old as well. Wow. If there's something to learn about like these beers, age makes a difference. And in this kind of beer... It can really make things smooth and complex and subtle. This is wonderful. Where would I get this? I bought it at Wyland's. I don't know if they even still make it. Let's go clean them out. July 2014. How long have you been holding this? Four years, probably. But, you know. I'll tell you, it was, the top of that bottle was dusty AF, which means (laughs) dusty and fine. It is barnyard in the best possible way you it can. It is, but I also get like this apricot-y, There's a fruit dried yes. fruit. There's yes. a light dried fruit character that is really nice. I'm surprised. Yeah, I like it. This, man, I mean. And dry. dry all right, it's Orval Day. But if one were to make a day out of the tide and its takers, which just it's great, man. doesn't roll off the tongue quite no. like Orval, but Jesus Christ, this is good. It is an excellent beer. Well, and it's so much like the the aged Orval. It's got that real, real fruity tartness, Halloween candy, something we can't put our finger on. But it's, that's that's so great that I don't think if we drank this beer five years ago, we would be in there. No way. No way. I agree. 
I almost get more of a like a like a there's a malty bready crackery bready, yes. something. There is a breadiness. Mm-hmm. I agree. With, I agree with that. Whatever the grains are, they're more present here. They haven't just disappeared like some of the other beers we've tried. It's not lean. Like the really aged Orval has a leanness in yeah. the middle, and this doesn't have that. This is right. more uh, full in the middle in yeah. a really pleasant way. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, uh, hey. sur- in a surprising way for its age too, because you think. The older it gets, like the leaner it might get in the middle. So to me, I just wonder if the bugs stopped working at some point and left some of the meat in the middle and didn't eat all that like sugar out and all the other. Like it, it doesn't have that lean whininess in the middle that um, the really old Arval does. I think any of these beers, you know, hop in your DeLorean, punch in a date five years before wherever you are now. Go scoop up a handful of bottles of beers with bretomyces, put them in whatever beer cellar you got, and then crack them open five years ago, and they really develop into something special. I mean, they're good beers when they're young, but they're great beers, and that bret has had its time to work and really bring out these fruity, tarty, candy notes. I'm really enjoying these aged beers, to be honest. My man. I think that's a good statement. That's probably a good place to end it, guys. Yeah. Happy Orval Day. Happy Orval Day. Day. Shit, yeah. Good curling and uh, (laughs) as always, shout at the devil. Yeah. So the name of this beer, The Tide and Its Takers, it's the fourth studio album by Alaskan metalcore band 36 Crazy Fists. Shut the you didn't front know door. that, I bet. How many Crazy Fists? I'm thinking 36. <laughs>